Hey, everybody, welcome to the HVAC Joy Lab podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Shirk. This podcast focuses on creating more and more conversations about what optimizes life for an HVAC technician. My goal is to produce the most helpful content available for techs, full stop. Today, you're going to hear from me. Uh, I have a few basic paradigms of how life works for a technician in the development of their career and how that relates to staying in their current job or taking a new one um, through some research and a lot of observation, talking to hundreds and hundreds of technicians. I've discovered the main five reasons technicians either stay or go today. I'm going to lay them out for you, and I encourage you as a tech to really catch all five and catch them in order so that you can maximize your satisfaction of where you are and know if it's time to go to work elsewhere. Okay, let's get started. Hey, everybody, it's John Shirk here, and uh, it's just going to be me, this podcast. And uh, I want to take a few minutes to talk about um, the the five reasons that technicians take new jobs. Now, the focus of this podcast, you, my audience, are technicians. So what I'm hoping I'm doing for you is creating a framework for understanding um, uh, when you feel the need to, to consider another job, uh, when someone wants to hire you, that they're doing a better job of meeting your needs. Um, so you are my audience, but I also expect that there will be service managers, company owners, HR people who will want to understand this paradigm as well, because they compete for you, technician. They're competing for your talent, and you should 100% assume that's the case. Now, there's a way to go arrogant and kind of a, be a dickhead and not handle that well, right? So I'm not saying go there, not go arrogant, not go, what have you done for me lately? However, there should be no real pandering uh, on your part to go find a job somewhere. If you can't find a job somewhere, something's wrong. The labor market is such that there are vastly more jobs available than there is technical talent available. And that simply is what it is. So look, if, if you say, but I want to work at this best company in town and they're not hiring me, well, take a look at why that might be the case. If you ask, they might tell you. Maybe you just need to get your act together. Maybe there's something else going on. But fundamentally, if you are employable, meaning you are you know, not strung out, you're not drunk every day, you're, you can't pass a drug test, you're, you know, if you are employable and you don't have a job, something's wrong. And so... Uh, this paradigm applies to that second group, those that are employable. And if, you, if you're if you having trouble finding a job, listen, man, 
reach out to me, reach out to me on Facebook, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Let's talk. I'd love to coach you through it. I'd love to help you. Um, I know for some of you, it's a challenge because uh, you have a felony in your background and there's some strategies you can do to take care of that. doesn't mean you're a bad person, but it is what it is. So uh, when I talk about this paradigm and when I say things like um, anybody who uh, you want to recruit that isn't already employed is not someone you want. That is generally true, but it doesn't mean you're a bad person if you're not in that category, right? So having said that, uh, these are the five reasons that normally technicians take new jobs. And for those who are uh, in a career inside of a company or those who are in management inside of a company, these are also the five layers which retain a technician. So in other words, if there's five reasons a tech would leave um, a job to go somewhere else, if you're trying to retain that person, this is also the five reasons someone would leave. Make sense? So as you understand these progressively, this is also the framework for your retention strategy. These five uh, reasons, these five needs that technicians have, and they are progressive, meaning uh, if you have one and two, uh, but don't don't have number three, you can assume they also don't have four and five. If you have number one and not number two, you can assume they don't have three, four and five. Right. So they each build on the last one. OK, so let's get into it um, again. I don't script these things. So forgive me if at times I ramble or whatever, it would take me much longer to script them than it would be to just get the content to you. So I just want to I, I want to help you. I'm the kind of person that I'm just fine with something being, you know, 20% perfect, but 80% helpful. And I don't need to, for it to be perfect. So forgive me if, if at times there's a rambling, maybe that was just it. I don't know. So here we go. What are the five needs? Number one is pay as connected to short-term security. Pay as connected to short-term security. Now, what does that mean? That means uh, there's a challenge normally related to pay that's bordering on crisis meaning I need to take action now, meaning I don't know if I can pay the rent this month or if I can, I don't know if I can next month. Uh, look, we live in a seasonal business. This often happens in the off season. Uh, maybe you made money in the on season, didn't save it well. Now you're in the off season, but you've got a need and it's a short term need. And sometimes that's a reason to leave one company and go to another. Now, if you want to be a company who can collect this kind of talent all day, every day, bring them over from somebody else, what do you do? You guarantee 40 hours a week uh, all year long. Well, John, I can't do that and make money. Okay, well, I'm sorry, but that's, that's who's competing with you. Somebody who owns a commercial maintenance company that's got 12-month annual contracts and needs someone throughout 12 months of the year, you're competing with them for that talent. So just know... That's the, that's the reality of what it is. So if someone, if you can't pay rent this month, uh, there are other versions of this as well. Sometimes just the reverse. Sometimes it's someone working a hundred hours a week uh, over and over again in the on season. And they're saying, I can't make it one or two more weeks. Like if you tell me, uh, Mr. Company owner at this other company, you tell me I don't have to work hundred hour weeks. And even if I made the same money, but I don't have to work like this, I don't have to have this on call schedule. I'm, I'm there. That's it. That's a level one immediate resource need, which is more about energy and just just sustain, you know, my day uh, 
than it is about money. Sometimes, uh, you know, I live down here in Louisiana. Sometimes people get hit by a hurricane and they have short term resource needs because they can't even move into their house. And people move from one job to another because another company offers them temporary housing. So there's there's all kinds of things. But whatever is here in this category, it's the first level. It's an immediate resource need. And if those aren't met, there's an obvious urgency to go figure out how to get them met. It's a problem boarding on crisis and action is needed now. All right. That's level one. Now, level two are long term resource needs. This is where resources are not a crisis, but clearly the status quo is not sustainable. Okay. Now this is stuff like inadequate benefits could be seasonal slowdowns could be health issues. I, I talk to techs all the time who express concern that they're not going to be able to physically keep going uh, into their fifties and sixties simply because of the demand on their body and doing the work, crawling around some crawl space and all of that. Okay. So there could be uh, certain safety issues that, you know, some companies take safety very seriously, some less, and they don't feel safe working where they are. Uh, and it's not sustainable. Uh, for some, it's about retirement savings. And can I retire here? And if they don't believe that's the case, then their long-term resource needs are not being met. You know, another one is just simply feeling like I'm confident I'm not going to get fired here. I don't know what goes through the minds of some managers and some owners who think the right way to motivate their people is to make them think they're on the edge of getting fired. That is the worst version of management. It's the worst version of leadership in part, apart from anything ethical, it's just incredibly ineffective and just tells your people the first chance there's somewhere else to be. I'm going to be there instead of here. Right. But these are the long term resource needs, meaning um, the, uh, you know, retirement, the benefits, the I could sustain a life here. The status quo is not sustainable where I am, though, and therefore I'm looking at somewhere else. So for those of you thinking in terms of re uh, retention, how are you doing here? Do the people in your company, A, feel like they could be there long term financially or B, feel like they could be there long term physically, benefit wise, retirement wise, health wise, all those other things? That's your first, after you've dealt with the immediate resource needs, the next one are the long-term resource needs, okay? Now, the challenge here is that there's a lot of conversation about wages that happens in these conversations, in technicians, with, um, with employers, um, and I understand, uh, totally, I understand that a technician is going to feel like, um, why should I make less money? If I can make them more money somewhere else, that's where I'm headed. And all I would say is that I respect that. Just realize that creates a long-term problem eventually, right? So let me just take it aside for a minute and, and tell you about what I did my dissertation on. I wrote a dissertation on you guys, on, dis on uh, technicians. And so my doctoral dissertation studied commitment to company dynamics and uh, technicians and their kind of engagement. Why do they make a commitment to a company? Why does it, why do they, what does a flag out commitment happen and they go somewhere else? Um, and there are basically three components to that commitment. One is a desire to be at that company. That, that's a, that, that technician wants to be at a given company. They, they like what the company stands for, for whatever reason, 
it's, it's inside of them to want to be there. Okay. The second one is a feeling of fair exchange. In other words, I'm putting up this amount of effort, this amount of time, and they're paying me this amount of wage and benefits or other things. And it feels like a fair exchange. And as that happens over time, a loyalty develops and it feels right to stay there. There's kind of a moral and a justice and a, and an equilibrium and a status quo that's good. And that kind of, that sustains that, that commitment there. It's kind of the medium level. Now, the third one is the job that costs too much to leave. Okay. Now, when someone's primary motivation to be in a job is that it costs them too much to leave. And many people have been in this job. I've been in this job when it costs you too much to leave. Uh, you're not happy there. It's just that departing from there creates such a feeling of threat that the, the, the fear of um, going somewhere else, the fear of losing benefits, uh, existing relationships, potential opportunity, whatever it is, the fear of losing that feels like it's so much bigger than some other opportunity that the, it cost me too much to leave means I'm staying. Okay. So here's what happens with each of those. If you have a high desire to be there, I want to be there. Your level of extra effort is through the roof. Total engagement. Boss, you need me come in on the weekends and help you move furniture. I'm there like that. It's high effort. Almost no thoughts of what we call intent to turnover. Almost no thoughts of leaving. Okay. Now, if you're in that middle category where there's kind of a loyalty, there's a middle range you know, uh, engagement level, middle range energy and occasional thoughts of leaving, but they're mid range. They're not intense, right? If you're in a job that costs too much to leave, normally your effort is minimum because it is difficult for whatever reason. It, if you're perceiving that it costs too much to leave, there's a motivation to leave. You just can't. And so in this case, the effort is low and thoughts of turnover are high. Okay. Now, how do you find yourself into that job? One way to do it is to keep changing jobs until you land on finally the highest wage in town. So what happens when I've seen this happen? Let's say you found that one company that will pay you $5 an hour more than everybody else. You found them. Hallelujah. You found them. Right now, what happens when things start going wrong in that company and you would like to leave? Well, here's what normally plays out. They make phone calls to other people they've worked for in the past, and they say, hey, um, you know, I'd really like to come back, but I'm now making this $5 more an hour. Would you pay me that? And generally the answer is, I'm sorry, no, we won't. And now you're trapped in a cul-de-sac for $5 an hour. Okay. Now, look, I'm in no way trying to uh, talk you out of making as much money as possible. No way. But my goal is not for you to have an extra 50 bucks a week. My goal is for you to thrive. And if you can thrive on 50 bucks less per week, you can have a real life and you can, you can, you know, take care of your family. You can feel great about yourself. You can have that pleasure of doing great work. You know, all of the stability and, and, and great stuff that goes with building a great life. You can have it. If every day when you go to work, it sucks, they treat you like crap, they disrespect you, but they pay you that extra five bucks, 
man, that five bucks starts feeling smaller and smaller and smaller every day. Okay. So when we're dealing with these wage issues, long-term resource needs, listen, my name's John. I'm your friend. I'm just saying, beware of that cul-de-sac. In my experience as a consultant, and I've been doing this now for a pretty long time, when you hit that company who is willing to essentially buy you, they're fine if you come in as a mercenary and you're just getting paid more than anybody else in town will pay you. That's kind of the end of what they're willing to do for you because that's the strategy they're using. They're willing to pay that much because they don't want to look out for you. Now, some I'm sure there's an exception out there somewhere, but for the most part, when people say this is our relationship, our relationship is based on this wage that I'm paying you, then that wage is all you're getting from me. And if it's not enough, then that's too bad. Okay. It's not true in every case, but it's been true often enough that I think you could expect it. So when we talk about long-term resource needs, just as a technician, look out for that dynamic, be careful of it. Okay. Um, now third are relationships. So again, these are progressive. So let's say we've, we're, we're at a company, technicians at a company, uh, the long-term resource needs have been established. We know these are the, these are the long-term issues. Those issues are addressed. I'm going to have a roof over my head. I'm going to be able to be healthy. I'm going to be able to, if I want to retire from here, those issues are settled. What comes next? And that is relationships. Um, when relationships aren't working, it's because uh, the relationships are causing more frustration than helping. There's no sense of team, especially, especially as relates to your direct supervision. If, um, if you've got a bad boss in terms of how they talk to you, how they manage you, that's the number one reason people change jobs in America. And in fact, according to uh, research out of a guy at Harvard, this is the number one reason people generally just feel unhappiness. Conversations with my boss, across, not just in our industry, across the board, right? So the right relationship issue is a pretty big deal. So if you're feeling kind of a hostile uh, work environment, a bad boss, a pushy dispatcher, sometimes angry customers, but, but the service manager won't back you up. Um, the relationship piece is the next one. And in order to understand this relationship piece in particular with you and the company, this isn't necessarily you and the other techs, but with you and the company, you and your service manager or supervisor, um, there's four types of this relationship. And again, I'm just breaking this down for you so you can understand it. If I go through the four, you should be able to immediately identify which one of the four you have at work right now. Okay. Number one is one where the authority is absent. In other words, they're above you in the organizational chart. They are your formal boss, but they, they are afraid of conflict. And so they pretend they're not in charge and they kind of try to interact with you in a way that is sort of like you're together in a commune. Um, the, you and the manager interact as if no one has authority. Um, the manager only persuades with personality, normally does a lot of like, man, I really hope you'll do this for me because you're really going to get me in trouble with my boss if you don't do it. Like there's this clear sense that they're not owning their role and they want to have a relationship with you based on buddies, being buddies. Okay. Uh, a lot of, a uh, lot of after hour time, a lot of texting together on the weekend and how are you doing? Let's share each other's lunch and music and socks. Okay. Um, now the, the advantage of this is that there is some camaraderie and there is some teamwork, but the problem is you have to empower yourself because they're not going to do it for you. 
Nothing about them is going to help you be more effective in your job. Okay. It may be that uh, you don't get a bunch of crap from them because they're not bossy, but they're also not going to help you. So you're kind of have to function kind of as a lone ranger and solve certain problems that are out of the scope of your general, your authority, because they're not exercising theirs. Okay. Now, the second one is authority present, authority absent, second authority present. And this is where this person does own their authority. And whether it's good news or bad news depends entirely on whether they're going to use that authority to benefit you. And by benefit, I mean, help you have problems solved on your, your, the tasks you have to perform for your job. When I teach companies this concept, I say, look, there's two rules. If you're the manager, I'm in charge, but you're more important than me, frontline technician. So I have certain authority and we have to, I have to clarify what expectations are. But as soon as I've done that, my entire job, my entire job is supporting you to be effective to meet those expectations. And I cringe often when I hear managers safety at safety meetings or, or it's just one-on-one -on -one with their technicians talk about them, talk to them in a way that sort of says, uh, well, that sounds like that's your problem. Because listen, if you're listening to this and you are a service manager, every, I have to not get too heated up about this because I get a little, I get a little heated up when I get to this topic. Every problem a technician has service manager is your problem, period, full stop. Well, wait a minute, that's going on at home. Is it hindering their work? Well, yeah. Then what are you going to do about it? Because you service manager are accountable for their performance. Well, that's not fair. Too bad. Then get a different job. I'm sorry that we've got to get over this idea that it's the job of the manager to dictate orders, to tell people what to do. And then after that, my job is done. It's that's only the, that's not even, that's two minutes into the first quarter. Look, you've got to clarify expectations. And, and listen, for those of you who want to be very supportive of technicians, you should never lower the standard in the name of helping a technician. If metaphorically, what we do here is run miles in eight minutes, don't ever be okay with eight minutes and 30 seconds. If that's the standard, that's the standard. However, if you've got someone constantly coming in at nine minutes, you need to fluctuate your level of support up until they come in at eight minutes, right? Now, technician, if, if you take advantage of this, then shame on you, right? If they come in, if you come in and they say, look, the standard is eight minute miles and you smile and nod and have no intent of ever doing that, then shame on you. Now that now it's on you. Okay. But someone's got to understand where the performance metrics are. Cause listen, what happens when there's no performance metrics? It's never good enough. And it's always more. Can I go home yet? Nope. One more call on the board. Is this good enough for a raise? Uh, I don't know. Well, what do I have to do to get a raise? I don't know. Impress me. Let's see. See, you see where this works. The manager has got to establish, and this only works in the context of authority. The manager has got to establish what is the expectation, but then the manager has to use that authority to make the frontliner successful. Everything from making sure they have all they need clarifying all the questions, having all the tools, whatever, whatever support is required to get them to eight minute miles. That is the manager's job, full stop. And so um, when this thing works really well, that technician and in, in research shows clearly that anybody working, but a technician is included in that, 
they have the highest job satisfaction scores of any worker in every culture. It's true in China. It's true in Africa. It's true in Europe. It's true at your company when it's time to wash a coil. All right. This, this dynamic is the most important piece of job satisfaction at the relationship level. Okay. There has to be a feeling of camaraderie with your peers, but there also has to be a feeling that it's good news to me that my boss is my boss. There's a majority of technicians out there who would not be able to say that. So listen, if you're listening to this as a service manager or an owner and you say, man, I'm worried about losing my guys. Where do I start? You start right here, right here. Okay. Now look, you've got to, because of what we just discussed, you've got to address short-term resource needs. You've got to address long-term resource needs, but often those things are uh, almost baked into the system. The benefits are what they are. If you're a 1099 company and you don't have insurance, you're not going to start having insurance. So you're just going to have to deal with that and, and kind of move people in and out based on, you know, what, 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 what brings them to a long-term, um, a confidence that they could be there long-term. Okay. But uh, on the people level, which is really where, when, when uh, in, again, I do lots of research and, and uh, inside of air conditioning companies. And what I hear managers use the word culture, I hear technicians use the word family and this is a family friendly environment, or sometimes the company is family owned or they care about me and my family. They want to, they want to help me provide for my family. Right? So when the relationship dynamic is right, you can throw around the word culture. You can throw around the word family, but it's working on a people level. Right? So this one is just so important. All right. So that's authority present. Now you can probably guess that's of the four, the one I'm going to recommend. The third one is what I call rules is rules. And this is where the manager to frontline relationship is based on having a set of policies, a set of rules, and the manager polices those rules. And if the frontliner follows those rules, everything's fine. And so um, it's kind of better than not using authority at all. But what you're really leaning into is what are the rules and do they work? Do they work for me or against me? Right. Now, last one is what we'd call a market rate. A market rate relationship is a little bit what we talked about earlier. If I say as a technician, I am worth $32 an hour, you pay me that, we have a relationship, that's a market rate relationship, okay? If you say, look, you treat me right, there's room to fluctuate what this wage is within reason, then it's not a market rate relationship. So there's a lot of technicians who say, I want to work for somebody. They don't really realize they're saying it. But what they're saying is, I want to work for somebody who will do a market rate relationship with me. Now, what's good and bad about that? It's the cul-de-sac I talked about earlier. That's what's bad about it, right? As soon as that wage uh, goes away, there's nothing else there, right? Or as soon as the, the you know, what if I come in at 32 and, and after a year, I believe now I believe I'm worth 35, the type of relationship I'm in is dependent on having an agreement on what wage works. And if your employer says, no, you're not worth 35, now your whole relationship has fallen apart and you're going to have to find somewhere else to work. Okay. Or be very unhappy. You now maybe this is where you, now you have a job that costs you too much to leave. 
Okay. So when we talk about relationships, think about your, your boss at work right now, just pause. Which one do you have authority absent? They want to be your buddy. They don't want to exercise authority authority present where they're in their authority, but it could be horrible. It could be horrible. They're in the right kind of type of relationship, but they're not using their, they're using their authority against you. So, but the authority is present. And then is it for or against you? Is it good news or bad news that they're your boss? The third rules is rules. Is it all about rules and policies and following, you know, if you do X, then you're fine. If you don't do X, you get written up, you do it again, da, 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 da. Or is it pure wage? Is it just a market rate relationship? And if that's the case, you're obviously then at risk of what if they decide that the new wage you think you're worth isn't what they're thinking and now you're stuck. Okay. So that is the people, the relationship layer, immediate resource needs, long-term resource needs, then relationships. And what comes after that is respect and status. Um, the, as well as kind of the chance to advance, they all kind of tie together. Right. So, Anybody who works, especially in a residential air conditioning company as a tech for at least 10 years knows the dynamic I'm about to describe. Uh, I came in, I didn't even know I was going to end up in this line of work, but I came into it. Uh, I started as a helper, I uh, learned a few things, and then I, I got in charge of my own install crew, and now I'm installing, and, you know, but the next late, the next step up is running service and troubleshooting. And so I do some of that and I learned that. And I'd kind of like to get into the sales role now. It looks like that guy, you know, gets to wear a college shirt and drive his own car and and makes more money. And um, that's the next step up. But when you're in that zone, it takes about 10 years to get there, eight to 10. You become what I call 10-year Ted. And you reach a point where there's nowhere else to go up in the company. Now, if I said there's nowhere else to go up and you work commercial, you you know the exact same experience I'm talking about. You reach a threshold, maybe the company is family owned, and it's like you're not going up anywhere further than you are now. Okay. Relationships and culture, terrific. They treat me great here. That's it's golden. But inside me, I'm now 35 years old and I'm saying, is this it? Is this, I mean. Do I just now do this and get a cost of living raise for 35 years? Like what happens now? This is the advancement question. Sometimes in some kinds of companies or some kind of roles that the technician will have a, an aspirational uh, landing zone. They want to become a controls tech. They want to become a chiller tech. They want to become a, um, uh, you know, a, a comfort sales advisor. Or, you know, there's some role they see as kind of the pinnacle threshold. And if they got that, they would feel the respect and status need met, right? There still can come one later. But if you're below what you see as your, your top job, as you kind of imagine it, and you're trying to get there and there, there's nowhere for you to go, then you're going to be stuck in this respect and status and advancement problem, okay? Now, this again is why a lot of people leave. Now, ostensibly, we could say, well, they were a, I just talked to a tech where this happened. They were a service tech 
they wanted to become a sales advisor in their mind, the next step up, that wasn't an opportunity where they were. So they took a new job somewhere else where someone offered them that job. Now, having talked to the person, will they make more money? Yes, they will. But they weren't not paying their bills before. The more money in their mind really represented status, not uh, sustainability. They were already sustainable. The money and the role and the shift represented, this is now in their mind, the top job. They don't really aspire to be a service manager. They don't really aspire to own. So now this, this issue has now been satisfied, the respect and status issue. Um, now, for people who don't have this met, they usually talk about feeling somehow talked down to. It isn't that the, the, the camaraderie isn't there. It's that people won't listen to them. Their ideas don't get picked up by the bosses. Um, they just get, they feel like they're, they're always the ones who get to go home last because they're the best tech in the building. And so it's like they get punished for it. I mean, just saying those words out loud, there's going to be people nodding their head when they, when they hear that. That's one of the challenges of a residential model is your best techs feel like they get punished for it. Okay. So this is the fourth level of need. If you want to retain people, you have to find a way to bring respect and status to that technician, uh, or they will eventually look for somewhere else where they can get that. And technician, if you're feeling that, um, you're probably feeling a dilemma because the relationships are good. So you feel a loyalty to the people, but you also know that there's you've got more to give. There's more in you than what they're asking of you. And you're kind of wondering, what do I do? And I don't have an easy answer for you. I will say that um, if the respect piece is not satisfied for you, it will eat away at you. And you really probably should consider at least looking somewhere else. Now, if you look somewhere else and you realize no one's going to give you that job, well, okay, then that's a different conversation. But sometimes you grow faster than the organization does, and it's just the natural course of things. Um, so it will... It will and again, I know a service manager is going to feel like, oh, but we've invested so much in you. But when they're honest, they wouldn't just sit either in your position, right? They they may get frustrated if you go somewhere else, but ultimately, if they don't understand, then they're really not paying attention. It's the natural course of things. We all have to keep growing. No one wants to get to 35 or 40 years old and just stop and then just just on a on a just a maintenance only life for the next 30 years. Okay. So, but that's the fourth one respect, immediate resource needs, long term resource needs, then the relationship thing, then respect and status. And finally, what I call the pleasure of expertise. And this is simply once you're there, there's really only one question Do I get to do what I do best every day? Because I can tell you, if you make it to level five, you are very good at your work. Full stop. I mean, just for real. You're very good at your work, right? And the only thing that's really going to be, you know, and, and, and I'll say additionally, when you're really good at something, doing it feels fantastic. It feels great, right? So the, the joy of the work, you've already established that you're sustainable long-term financially. The relationships are terrific. You have respect and status where you are. There's really only one question. Are they going to let me do what I do best every day? Or am I going to get chased off the job too fast by a dispatcher? Or are they going to pull me off of a PM to catch a call because there's not enough PM catchers or there's not enough call catchers or whatever, right? Is there some reason 
um, that I'm not able to do what I do best every day. Now, this again will be a reason someone leaves to go somewhere else if they feel like they can get that somewhere else. Okay. Now it makes again, when someone is this at this level, there's a lot of demand for them. And sometimes false promises get made. So if you leave one place, I would really recommend that you say, look, I think I'm going to get something there that I don't have here. Am I burning our relationship? If I do this, can I go there? Can I come back in six months if they weren't telling me the truth about what they're offering me? And a, a wise service manager will say, yes, you can come back. Yes, you can. Because there aren't a bunch of this guy walking around. Okay. So the last level, and for technicians, what is in terms of my thriving life as a tech, what, what makes me great on the job uh, is can I do what I do best every day? Okay. These are the five. So again, going through them, immediate resource needs. These are all reasons people leave or take jobs. And it's also a, a framework for retention for a company where they already have techs employed. Step one, clarify immediate resource needs, whether it's money, whether it's their overwork somewhere else. If you're, if you're working someone 100 hours a week, you know, I went, this wasn't an air conditioning company, but I went into a client site, um, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. And this was a manufacturing company. And, um, and they were kind of a mess. People were fighting with each other, like, like literally fist fights breaking out on the production floor, like massive stress. And, you know, right when I got there, I, I pulled one of the uh, supervising managers off the production floor. And I said, so what's going on here? And he said, John, we just worked our 13th consecutive seven day work week. Oh, uh -huh. that explains an awful lot. Okay, so why would people get so stressed out? Why would they be on each other? Why would a fist fight break out on the production floor? Because their immediate resource needs are drained, right? People would quit, go home and sleep for 48 hours and then go, okay, I'm back. And they'd put them right back on the production floor. Like that kind of uh, work environment is very level one and it's very not sustainable. Okay, so I say all that to say it isn't just about money. It can also be about the level of effort and time and sleepless time required by the job. So immediate resource needs. Next, long-term resource needs. It's not a crisis, but this isn't, this isn't sustainable. Third are the relationships. Is my boss handling their authority well? Do I just feel connected and connected to the team here? Fourth is respect and status. Am I advancing to what I consider the pinnacle role of what I would want to be able to do realistically in this company. I don't aspire, let's say, to own my own company, but I want to be in the top job that I would want to have, okay? And then lastly, uh, the pleasure of expertise. Now, once I'm in that job, do I have the opportunity to do what I do best every day, okay? Those are the five. Technician, take note of it, right? Kind of establish in your own mind, where are you right now? And if you are saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm sustainable, but the relationships are not good. Okay. So now you, know, now you know what comes next. And what I would tell you is don't fool yourself into thinking, well, if I could just go straight to getting the top job, I could skip the relationship part because it doesn't work that way. If the relationships are bad, having the top job just makes it worse because now, now you really can't do what you do best every day. Okay. They have to come in this order or it falls apart. So short-term, long-term, relationships, respect, and status, 
And finally, the pleasure of expertise. Can I do what I do best every day? All right, listen, uh, this is HVAC Joy Lab. Uh, the whole purpose of this podcast is to add value to your life if you are an air conditioning technician, either directly with the ideas and hearing your you hearing your story retold on this podcast with uh, tips and and ways to to advance your own career and just your own thriving, or if you're someone who really cares about a technician and whether it's a family member or uh, a service manager or a company owner and you want to better understand. What does a tech need for me? Because you genuinely want to compete in a meaningful way with money plus everything else for that person's full engagement and their talent, then this podcast is for you. I hope you got something today uh, that you can take advantage of, and we will see you next time. A good life is had at the HVAC.